Good morning. Thankful for this opportunity to be here this morning. I ask you to turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. I'm excited about the opportunity for our team going to Alaska. Please continue to pray for them. No small thing taking that many across the country to where it's frozen and cold and everything else. And so we want to continue to uh, remember them in your prayers that the Lord would, would uh, bless them with opportunities to share and to give out the gospel. I'm also thankful for this past week. I know Pastor Jeremy mentioned it uh, as a pastor. The scriptures tell us that we don't forsake to gather together so that we can spur one another on to love and good deeds. And this past week, every night as I came into VBS as your pastor, I was definitely spurred on to love and good deeds. So exciting to see the room full of children, so many people volunteering, such an encouragement to me and I know to the others who are a part of it. We praise God for what he did. So thank you to each and every person that made that possible. I will say one more thing. Today, we will be leaving out, some of us from our church will be leaving out and heading to Nashville as the Southern Baptist Convention will be meeting this week. A lot of things go on in the life of Southern Baptist. We at Taylor's First are a part of that giving through the cooperative program for the sake of missions and the advancement of the gospel. And I'll say my favorite parts of this coming week will be on Monday. Monday as we gather together with the North American Mission Board and the SEND Conference celebrating what God is doing through planting churches throughout our nation for His glory. And we're seeing more and more advancement of those churches in places that uh, particularly didn't have any. We're seeing what God move. And then Monday evening will be a part of the IMB commissioning service there. One of my favorite parts, if not my favorite part. I hope that every Southern Baptist has an opportunity at some point in your life here as a member of Taylor's or any time to be a part of a commissioning service with the IMB as we see what God is doing and sending those out to reach the nations. We love the opportunity to work together for the sake of the advancement of the gospel. So be praying for that this week above all other things. Meantime, let's go to Exodus chapter 20. There's no way to segue any of that into you shall not steal. So we're just going to go after it. I will, I will uh, say I have received more than I ever thought I would questions about the hand signals when it came to the Ten Commandments. I started this out saying I learned the Ten Commandments through hand signals, you know, and I'm not going to go through all of them again, but many people, I guess, from the very beginning, I didn't do number eight or show you how to do number eight. It's real simple. Uh, I was actually pretty good at this with my, with my dad growing up. You take four fingers, right, and you do it like this, and you take four fingers on this side, but you need to use these three in the thumb, okay? It's pretty, this, is, this is actually pretty complicated. And so you take that, and then you reach into the wallet and you take money. Do y'all see how that works? Y'all see how that works? Again, I was actually pretty good at that young um, with, my, with my, fam my dad. But, but when I'm his kid, I, whatever, we'll see how we can work that out. I'm thankful to be here and looking at this passage again. Let's remember together that at Sinai, God spoke to his people out of the thunder. He had saved them from the bondage of slavery and oppression in Egypt, called them out by his power, brought them through the Red Sea, through the wilderness, and there at Sinai, he had gathered them at the base of the mountain, and God begins to speak. 
And having redeemed his people already, having saved them from Egypt, having already redeemed them, he calls them in Exodus 19 his treasured possession. And so as he speaks these Ten Commandments, understand again that these commandments were not given so that the people could be redeemed. They must keep these in order to be redeemed. These commandments have been given because they had been redeemed. God had already saved them. He's already redeemed them. So now they are given. They are given to teach his people what it would mean to dwell with the Lord God Almighty. For he didn't just save them and release them. He saved them so that he can dwell with them. And here is how you love them, he says. Here's how you love the Lord, Jesus tells us. So you love the Lord your God. You love your neighbor as yourself. Here's how you do it. It's by keeping these commandments together. And so speaking from the thunder at Sinai, the Lord says in verse 15 of Exodus 20, you shall not steal. The eighth commandment, you shall not steal. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your kindness to us and allowing us the privilege of being here, being able to sing your praises. In Christ alone, our hope is found, Father. We thank you that our, uh, your goodness never stops coming after us and every single one of us can testify to the goodness of your grace and your mercy in our life, Father. We're thankful for the opportunity to praise you to proclaim your name louder and louder. God, what a privilege it is to be able to be here. We're thankful that we have your word. And in your word, God, you have not left us guessing. You've not left us wondering what you would have us to do, Father, but you have told us clearly. You have spoken to us clearly through your word. And so this morning, as we read this simple verse, this you shall not steal. Help us not only to understand what it means, but to apply it. Help us not to just be hearers of this word, but doers of it as well, God. And so, Father, we thank you that your spirit is with us to take this word and apply it to our lives for your glory. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. After these last few weeks, I mean, we did you shall not murder and you shall not commit adultery. After these last few weeks, most assuredly, we come to this commandment with a sigh of relief. I mean, most assuredly, we can come to this because none of us like a thief. Nobody likes a thief, right? So we all can say, yeah, I'm good with that one. And we can see it clearly here. As we come, this is pretty plain. To steal is to take something that doesn't belong to you. It's cut and dry. So you shall not take something that doesn't belong to you. You shall not steal. In fact, when we look at this commandment, we can even maybe think we can breathe a little bit more sigh of relief because we look to the Sermon on the Mount. The last couple of weeks, we looked to the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus really took those commandments and, and transformed us to go deeper into our own heart attitudes when he says, you shall not commit a mur murder, but if you hate your brother in your heart, you've already committed murder. You shall not commit adultery, but if you lust after one who's not your husband or your wife, you've already committed adultery. Jesus takes those commandments and, and even makes them, ramps them up to see that it's not just that outward, but that inward. And so we come to this one and we see that Jesus doesn't deal with this one in the Sermon on the Mount. So hey, maybe even here, we, we're kind of cool. This is simple. This is, this is easy. You shall not steal. But that does not mean, even though it's a simple commandment for us, and even though it seems so cut and dry, it does not mean that we can be lazy this morning. It does not mean we can just simply take this and say, that's it, it's done, let's move on to the next one. 
Like the rest of the commandments, the prohibition on stealing is comprehensive. It digs deep into what this means. And when we consider what this commandment means, we recognize that there are different kinds of thieves, different ways to steal. I was reading this week from Thomas Watson who wrote a commentary on the Ten Commandments about 400 years ago, and I love how he puts some of these things, the different kind of thieves, if you will, thieves, if you will. First, there's the highway thief, he says, the one who steals from a person, mugging, if you will, or assaulting them and taking from them. Then there's the house thief, the one who steals from someone's things, going in when they're not home and taking what does not belong to them. There's the worker thief, the one who steals from his employer both money and time. There's the shopkeeper thief, he says, the owner who uses false weights and measures to deal with his people so as to bring in more money, cheating them, stealing from them, and he does not give others their due. There's the lender thief, the one who gives out money, if you will, to go out to others but puts so many regulations on it as to suck them dry from more than they even borrowed, being unreasonable. There's the borrower thief, the one who borrows with no intention of giving back. Now, I must say, I'll stop right here. If I borrowed a pencil from you in middle school or high school, I plan on giving it back, okay? It's still there. I've still got a record of it. I learned quickly that you just can't say, can I borrow a piece of paper? Y'all know what I'm talking about? Just go ahead and let me have it, and that way it absolves of any sin. There's the receiver thief, the one that receives stolen goods as an accessory here. So they may not have taken it, but they receive it. In this way, Thomas Watson, like so many other commentators, are trying to get us an understanding that there are many different ways to steal. There are many different ways to take things. And although this is a good list, there's more we can include. The intellectual thief, the one who steals ideas from others, plagiarism, if you will. The one who steals identity, the identity thief that has come up so much where you take someone else's identity so as to take their goods or the things that do not belong to you from them. The truth is, as we look to the scriptures and as we think about this and really apply it in the comprehensive way I believe it's meant, there are countless ways to steal. Countless ways to take things. Yet nearly 90% of Christians think that they have not broken the Eighth Commandment. They think that that's not me. We, we haven't taken anything that doesn't belong to me, right? We haven't done that. But when we see this and we, we recognize the outward part of this and taking other things, there are none of us in this room that have the ability or the privilege to say, like the rich young ruler tried to pull off, all of these I've kept. None of us have that opportunity or privilege to bring about because the very point of that passage is that the rich young ruler had fooled himself into thinking he had kept the law, he had been faithful, and he had not. You see, when we think about this, when we consider this, we need to understand what the Ten Commandments are ultimately doing for us. As the Apostle Paul says, they're a schoolmaster. They're teaching us. And what they're teaching us is that we are sinners. That we're sinners, that we've broken these. And when we come to each one of these commandments, throwing myself into this, we need to understand that all of us have sinned against God. All of us have broken these commandments. And we all have taken things that do not belong to us at some time or another. 
We've all taken things, fudged the numbers, done something in some way that does not, that does not honor God. We've stolen. And so when we come to this, we come as guilty. And we see and recognize what the, the passage is teaching and what the Ten Commandments are showing us is that very thing, that we are all guilty. Outwardly, we have taken. We have stolen. Now, let's move to the inward, though. If we recognize that, that we're guilty before God in this, why is this so wrong? we got to take what we need, right? we got to go after and get it. It's, it's survival. It's right. We just take these things. Why is this so wrong? It, seem, it may seem obvious to us. Don't take it if you didn't earn it. But at some point, we have to recognize why is it wrong for us to take. And what I want us to do this morning is to consider that. I want to give a greater principle that is at stake here. Not just don't take something that, what, that doesn't belong to you, but what is the mindset that we need in life so that we are not thieves? What's that mindset that we need? And this commandment, this commandment is all about that. This commandment is all about two things. It's about trust in God and satisfaction in Christ Jesus. This commandment is about trust in God and satisfaction in Christ Jesus. So how do we get there? We get there by understanding a biblical principle that is vitally important that we do not forget every single day. Everything we have has been given to us by God. Everything we have has been given to us by God. I was reading in 1 Chronicles 29 where David is wanting to build a temple for the Lord. He's trying to build a house for God, if you will, and he recognizes that they don't have the stuff they need to make a glorious house for God. And so he begins to pray. And as he begins to pray, he knows that the materials are being provided, the wood, the stone, the gold, they're being provided. And as he prays, he says, all things, Lord, we recognize all things come from you. Everything comes from you. In discussing the building of this temple, he says, O oh Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name has come from your hand. In this same principle, David is giving that mindset that everything comes from God. Everything comes from his hand. Even when we're building something for him, we are dependent upon him not just for the building, but the materials to get there, the strength to have it done, the wisdom to pull it off. Everything comes from God. As James tells us in the New Testament, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. I remember trying to explain this principle when I was a young student pastor. Back then, we just called them youth pastors. I don't know if y'all remember that's old, old language. And so I was just a youth pastor, and we are in a small little basement of this small little church, and I was trying to give it, and for some reason, I thought, hey, man, it'll be cool. We're going to go through 1 Corinthians. And 1 Corinthians, that first chapter is really good. Then you get into some sticky stuff. I don't know if y'all read it lately. But you're in it, and I'm in this with these teenagers, and I'm in there, and we get to this passage, and I'm trying to understand it. And Paul is talking about the gifts that God has given and Paul, like he always does, uses rhetorical questions. Rhetorical questions are not meant for you to give an answer to. They're a teaching mechanism so that you can understand what God is doing. And so in 1 Corinthians 4, I'm going to use this rhetorical question that Paul uses, not expecting an answer, right? And so what does Paul say in 1 Corinthians 4, 7? What do you have that you did not receive? 
What do you have that you did not receive? Now the answer to this is nothing. Paul's whole teaching on this is that God has given you everything that you have. Yet when I ask the question, which was rhetorical, some kid in the back yells out, my shoes. And I thought, here we go, he stole them. Gosh almighty, what am I going to do? But that wasn't what he meant. He was saying, no, I bought these with my own money. And in this, he displays what many of us think. Many of us think that we may have earned something. We may have won something over. We may have done something in order to receive something else. But what the Scripture teaches us is that every single thing we have is a gift from God. Our money, a gift from God. Our resources, a gift from God. Our homes, a gift from God. Every gift and talent that we have is a gift from God. So I have to go through and explain. While you may have bought those shoes with your own money, the Lord provided your job, the Lord provided your skills, the Lord provided your gifts, the Lord provided your talents, and much more than that, the Lord provided the very breath you were breathing and caused your heart to beat while you were doing it. Every step of the way and every part of it, God has provided all of that for us. There's not one thing that we have that has not been provided for us. God has given it all to us. Every part of it. But more than that, remember what Paul says to the Philippians. Not only has the Lord provided everything, the Lord provides all our needs, he says. We may not have all that we want sometimes, but my God supplies every need that is yours according to his riches in Christ Jesus, Paul says. Every need that we have has been provided. There's not one thing that we need that God has not given us as a people. There's not one thing that he hasn't provided for us. There is nothing, therefore, if God provides everything for us, he's given it all, everything we have has been a gift from him, and he provides all of our needs, then the scripture teaches us that there is no need to worry. Because you consider the flowers in the field, right? How beautiful they are. They're here today and gone this evening. But yet God makes them glorious in their time. And if God is going to dress them in such a way, how much more so will he take care of you? Or you consider the sparrow in the, in the field, right? That's the smallest of birds, seemingly insignificant. But if God feeds that sparrow, which he does every single day, how much more so will he take care of you? So don't worry. Seek first the kingdom and everything else will be granted to you, he says. God provides everything for us. All of our needs are met in Christ Jesus. And he's going to clothe us and he's going to feed us just like he does the flowers and the birds. So don't worry. Seek the Lord. And in this, we learn this principle that has been lost. Another uh, important word, I believe, that's been lost maybe in the history of our church. And that is the word of stewardship. In this, we learn what stewardship means, reading from the Baptist Faith and Message 2000, a confession of faith that we hold to. He says, God is the source of all blessings in the section on stewardship. God is the source of all blessings, temporal and spiritual. All that we have and we are we owe to him. Christians have a spiritual debtorship to the whole world, a holy trusteeship in the gospel, and a binding stewardship in their possessions. They are therefore under obligation to serve him with their time, talents, and material possessions and should recognize all these are entrusted to them for, for, to, them to use for the glory of God and for helping others. 
When we talk about stewardship, that's what we mean. All of these things have been given to us so that we can use them for God's glory and to help others. Here's the way it works, stewardship. If everything's been given to us by God, then it belongs to him. When it's given to us, then it is on loan to us to be stewards of and to use. Steward just simply means one who manages or looks after another's property. And so we take what God has given to us and we steward it, use it for his glory and for others' good. To be a good steward means first and foremost we give back to God recognizing that everything we have has been given to us as 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 david says in first chronicles 29 talking about building the temple for all things come from you and of your own have we given you when we're giving back to god we're simply returning what he's blessed us with when we're giving back to god we're simply giving back what he has already blessed in us it's such a privilege to know that God has given us and blessed us, and so we're to use that for his glory. Not just our gifts, not just our talents, not just our time, not just our resources, our finances, all of those things we're to use. But every breath we breathe, every heartbeat we have, our life and our words are to be used for the glory of God given back to him. Everything. It belongs to him anyway, by the way. It's just on loan to you. We use our gifts and our talents for his glory. We honor him with them. But not only do we give back to God, we also work. We can't be lazy with what God has blessed us with. We work to make what God has given us better. We read about this in the parable of the talents where the master is going out of town and he disperses his talents to his servants. And some he gave two, some five, some one, one there, one talent. And as he's leaving out, he tells them to do right. And they, they leave out, and the one who had five turns it into ten. The one who had two turns it into four. But the one who was given one takes it, and he buries it. He buries it and sets it apart. So when the master comes back, the ones who had prospered their talents, they give them back to the master, and he says, well done. But the one who buried it brings back that one that he was given and gives it to him, and the master calls him the unfaithful servant. Why? Because the master gave him gifts and talents and he squandered them, hid them away, and did not grow them and use them for his glory. You see, that's what the scripture teaches us. And not only at the end of that parable do we see that that one was not faithful, we see he will be judged by it. And brothers and sisters, we need to know that the scriptures teach that we will be judged by how we use the good gifts God has given us for his name and for his glory. So being a good good steward means that we understand what we have has been given to us. It is on loan from the Lord. And everyone, to whom everyone to whom much is given, much will be required. That we're to give it back to God. We're to work and make our gifts and talents he's given us better through the power of his spirit. Now you're sitting there going, why are we talking about this? Isn't the commandment you shall not steal? Well, yes. To steal would be in direct violation of all of these things we've discussed. To steal would say, I don't trust God. He's not going to give me what I need. He's not going to take care of my needs. I don't trust him. I've got to go take something in order to find my needs met. I don't trust God to meet every need in Christ. I've got to go take something to find my needs met. 
I'm not going to be a good steward. That takes too much work to go and make these things better and to use these things to God. I'm going to hog them for myself or keep them for myself, and I'm going to bury them away. And when I want something else, I'll just go take somebody else's talents. I'll take somebody else's gifts, and I'll bring them in in every way. Stealing is an opportunity to show you that you do not believe that God will take care of you. You do not believe he's good and he's faithful to give you everything you need. You do not believe that he will supply all of your needs so you steal because you do not believe God is faithful. In the heart of it, stealing is an act of unbelief. An act of unbelief. Not trusting God to give you what you need and not being a good steward of the things that he has given you. So what is it that we're looking for then? When we steal, when we take, what is it that we're looking for? And I believe what we're looking for is the same thing. All of us in this room. In fact, I would say every human being is looking for the same thing. What we are longing for, what we are looking for is satisfaction. We're looking to be satisfied. And the reason that you steal or to take is you think that thing that you do not have will satisfy you. You think those things that others have and you don't, you can take them from there because that will satisfy you. It will bring you what you need. It will give you some sort of satisfaction in life and you'll feel good. But the problem is, the problem is there's nothing in this world that can possibly satisfy you. You can look anywhere. You can go to anything. You can search for it all you want, but nothing's going to bring you satisfaction because our heart and longing is for the only one who can truly satisfy If you turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4, I'm sure you've heard of the verse Philippians 4.13. Saw a t-shirt the other day. I can do all things through a verse taken out of context. (laughs) And so it fits well with this verse. Okay, so we're going to look at this and I want us to put Philippians 4.13 in context because I think it speaks directly to this understanding. First, just to kind of see how it goes, Paul writing this letter to the Philippians from prison. He's writing to them and he's encouraging them. Y'all don't fight. Now y'all take that encouragement too. In Philippians chapter 4 verse 2, these two are fighting. Y'all need to agree in the Lord. Y'all need to handle things in a way that honors the Lord. Then he says in verse 4, rejoice always. And again, I say rejoice, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. I mean, Paul is on a roll here wrapping up Philippians 4. And and, and he comes down, he says, whatever is true, whatever is honorable in verse 8, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. I mean, Paul is really hitting on all cylinders here as he's closing this letter down. And then he gets to verse 10, and he wants to thank the Philippians for remembering him. He wants to thank them for their concern for him. They found out he's in prison. He wants to say, thank you for your concern. Thank you for your blessing. Thank you for everything. And so as he does this, he wants to teach something else I think that's highly important as well. He says, thank you for your concern for me. You're indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not, verse 11, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. 
Paul is saying, you need to know as your concern for me grows, thank you, but you need to know that my circumstances do not determine my joy. You need to know that I've faced it all. I have been one who has had a lot, and I've been one who's had a little. I've been brought low, and I have abounded. I've had plenty, and I have had nothing. Abundance and need, plenty and hunger. Paul says, I've known all of those circumstances. And notice what Paul does here. He doesn't even tell them what their circ his circumstance is now. Because Paul says, I've known all of the circumstances, and here's what I know that I will never find my satisfaction in what I have or what I don't have. I will only and always find my satisfaction in Christ, for I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so as we look to life and we consider this, what we are hoping for and what all of us are longing for is this satisfaction. As Jeremiah Burroughs put it in his book, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment, we're all looking for that rare jewel that is so hard for us to find where we are content and satisfied, not because our circumstances are all perfect and not because everything's right. We're content and we're satisfied because we have Christ. And we recognize that in Christ, we have absolutely everything we need. There's no reason then for us to steal. There's no reason for us to take because we already have it all when we have Jesus. And you can steal and you can take. You can bring more stuff. You can have plenty or you can have nothing. You can do all of those things. You are not going to find the satisfaction you're longing for until you find it in Christ. We know that everything we have comes from God. When we understand that God has supplied every need, when we look to Jesus as our greatest possession, the great riches of heaven, then our hearts turn, right? And the reason why I brought us here when we're talking about you shall not steal, because I want us to see, I want us to see that those of us who are believers, there is no reason for us to steal because we have everything we could ever want or long for. And so for us, it's not about stealing. It's not about taking for us, it is about giving. And the principle we live by is not just thou shalt not steal. The principle we live by is it's better to give. It's better to give. Jesus puts it this way in the Sermon on the Mount. If anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let them have your cloak as well. If they want you to walk one mile with them, walk two. They pop you on one cheek, turn the other one. Jesus says these radical statements because he's teaching us and showing us that the riches of this world, the wealth of this world can never possibly satisfy you. They want your coat, give them all the rest of your wardrobe. There's more clothes that can be made. There's more things that you can have. None of those things can satisfy you. It's only Christ that can and why is this? It's because the one who is satisfied recognizes that his or her treasures are not here on this earth, but they're stored up in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy. And so they trust the Lord. They trust the Lord who supplies all their needs. They don't take, they don't steal, they give. They give back to God by the same generosity that God gave to them. What marks the believer is not one who takes things, but one who gives things because our satisfaction is in Christ. So don't steal because you have everything you need in Jesus. 
Give. Give His gospel. Give His name. Give His truth. Give of your time. Give of your talents. Give of your gift. Give, because it's better to give than to receive, and the blessings of giving can never be outdone. Try them and see. I'm thankful that recorded for us in Luke's gospel was an episode that happened on the cross. Jesus, the Son of God, never sinned, never did anything wrong, hanging there on the cross. And as he was hanging there, he hung between two thieves. And it gives us the story of those two thieves, one of them still trying to take. Call him in. Let him know. Pull us down from here. You're strong enough. You're big enough. He's still trying to stake. He's still trying to steal, if you will. But the other one humbly says, do you know who you're talking to? And he looks to Jesus and he says, remember me when you enter your kingdom. I want you to know in this room today, and I mean this with the greatest amount of love and talk to you as much as I possibly can upon the truth of God's word, and I include myself in every ounce of it. In this room today, we're all thieves. We've all broken this law, this commandment. The question is, which kind are you? Are you the kind that's still looking to take, still looking to find your satisfaction in something of this world? Or are you the kind who have humbled yourself and recognize the only one that could bring you hope and satisfaction and contentment is the one who hang, hung on a tree in your place? Jesus Christ the Lord. In other words, the scriptures do it all over again. There's only two kind of people. Those who are children of God who've been purchased by Christ and those who are not. There's only two kind of thieves. Those who were still taking and stealing to find satisfaction in something and those who have turned to Jesus for their satisfaction. Which one are you? Let's pray today. Father, we thank you for your goodness and graciousness to us in giving us the privilege of your word. And so not only do we have that privilege today, Father, but we're able to look to your word and see your grace and your forgiveness. We're able to say today, Father, that Christ Jesus is available to all who are looking for satisfaction. And when you find him, you know you need nothing else. And so, God, I thank you for the psalmist in Psalm 34 who said, This poor man cried, and the Lord heard me. Father, we are all desperately in need of you. And what your word teaches us is that when we cry out, you hear us. And so, God, may we be like that thief on the cross who said, Father, remember me. May we humble ourselves today to recognize God, to recognize that we are in need of a Savior and see Jesus as our great and glorious satisfaction. Maybe there's some here today, Father, that are still trying to take and steal in this world. Help them to see that that will never satisfy Help them to turn to Christ and flee to him. Father, we thank you for your word and your truth. May Christ Jesus be exalted in this place. In his name we pray, amen. As I stand here today, if you 
or turning to Christ today and want to follow him, come up, see one of us. We'll be glad to talk to you about it.